Hi, welcome to season six. Uh, we're in episode four of our focus on ROI. I'm Mary Abazia, and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellham. Um, Hi. We're all from Impact Planning Group. We uh, love to talk about strategic marketing, and uh, we've been focusing, focusing on ROI, and this episode is about different perspectives on how to manage and measure ROI. Um, Tom, would you explain there are two primary ways that that uh, people can measure their ROI. Can you describe those? Yeah, and people, I think, overwhelmingly tend to focus on the first, which is what you might call, you know, traditional ROI, where people look at almost like a campaign by campaign basis. How many more products did I sell and what did this campaign cost? And therefore, what's my return on investment? That's a really hard thing to justify on a campaign by campaign basis. Something that we advocate, and this is not new, this is something that's been talked about for a long time, but is to try to kind of flip that on its head. Instead of thinking about this traditional product-oriented ROI, what about a customer ROI where marketing's role is really to use its you know, its skills and its talents and its, its, its campaigns to find new customers and therefore build a lifetime of relationship with that customer, taking a longer term view, not just what product did I sell them, but did this campaign bring in a new customer who is going to go on to buy, hopefully, a lot of products from our company over the lifetime of their relationship. How can marketing impact that relationship, make it stickier, sell more products to them? Takes a little bit of pressure off of, of, of marketing, but nonetheless shows how effective we are being in acquiring lifetime customers or at least long-term customers that we can sell a lot of stuff to. And um, there's a whole range of benefits that we can talk about from, from looking at it that way. I guess one of the key things there, Tom, has got to be the, uh, you think of customer profitability, which is essentially what we're talking about. It can be driven in a number of ways, right? Volume, diversity, range of products, that kind of thing. Um, but we've got to understand the cost to serve as well, because sometimes we can, it, on, the, on the superficial metrics, this is our biggest customer. We must look after them. When you do the math, you sometimes say, well, we're not making a bean out of these people. They may be leveraging their position as a, as a large customer. They may just be difficult to serve. You, I guess we need to deconstruct and, and understand the cost to serve per customer as well as their sort of top line, if you see what I mean. It's, uh, it, it needs a, a, a level of analysis, doesn't it? It's not, not so straightforward. Yeah. I think it needs a whole lot of things that, that we can talk about. I think it needs that for sure. I think it also needs a, a strong look about really the big issue of how companies are structured and how marketing is structured. Because I guess in a lot of the firms that we look at, marketing is kind of siloed into you know, a product group um, and doesn't have really the ability to do things to affect the customer lifetime value. They only affect you know, how many times they purchase the products in my particular silo. So I think that's another thing, Sean, besides the cost, I think we need to unpack that. I think we also need to unpack that, you know, organizations need to 
think more holistically about their marketers and give marketers the ability to begin to connect the company dots, the company products, and look for ways that we can actually build sort of the share of customer across product lines and not just have it seem like we're, you know, six or seven or eight different companies all in the same all in the same company, but each kind of converging separately on customers. That's that's also something that I, I think we should unpack. What do you Funny. think, Mary? Well, it kind of reminds me of the old saying, is your is your company strategy um, stapled together? You know, every product submits their plan and their budgets and and then a big stapler comes along and says, okay, this is it for that market. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, I, I really, I, I like this discussion because it goes deeper into um, not only how do you measure ROI, um, and I think, you know, you had said it takes the pressure off marketing. I think it, I think it appropriately puts pressure on marketing. It appropriately puts pressure on the company to say, wait a minute, you know, who else in the company are we tasking with um, the job to look across all the stuff that we can make for somebody and stuff that we aren't making for them yet and make sure that we are um, delivering as much as we can to a customer in a profitable way for us, of course. So I, I like it beyond just, you know, kind of a passive way of doing ROI to a very active way of making sure that, that you stay viable in the market. Yeah, I, I, so, so not to, to, to go past, I just want to kind of lay out both those topics, to, but to go back to Sean's point about cost, I think it's huge, right? Because what happens is rather now than thinking about ROI as how much money did I make on this campaign versus what did the campaign cost? I'm starting to look at, you know, what are all the things I could sell from my company's wares, or as Mary said, other things that I could, you know, start to make for a customer, you know, what, what is my potential with the customer? How much of that potential am I realizing? And then what is truly that cost to serve? And if we, you know, we have the analytics that are available and, I think a lot of consumer companies are doing a really good job of bringing those analytics down to an individual customer level so that you can start to look at individual customer profitability, individual share of customer. I think B2Bs could do a better job of it. And um, admittedly, it's a little bit more complex because um, it, it's maybe a little bit harder in a lot of B2Bs to kind of figure out how to work across um, silos, but that's what customers want. Customers don't want your, your salespeople to cross past each other in the parking lot from the same company. They want to un they want that value proposition unified. And, um, and, 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 and so that, that could happen in a lot better ways, I, I, I think, um, and, and take advantage of some of these new ways or old ways of looking at ROI. Yeah, getting that share of the customer that's profitable, that you've got a good, um, you've maximized the, the the spend, if you like, from that customer, is also at the root of a lot of the um, um, incentive programs, loyalty programs, right? We we all, uh, well, I say we all. This is in the in our previous life of of of, of traveling the world, which no, none of us have done for a few months, but. Um, frequent flyers, uh, hotel loyalties, you know, it drives our behavior, right? You will choose a particular hotel over another if you're going to a city because you've got the the rewards have built up. You'll choose an airline over another, all things being equal because you're in their platinum club or whatever it happens to be. 
And businesses, you don't have to be that sort of business to think about ways to incentivize, ways to foster loyalty. It doesn't even have to be a a, a program where you, you get rewards necessarily. It's just sometimes about segmenting those customers that fit that role of of high potential or you've, you've got a big share already or you see the potential for a big share and treating them that little bit differently, maybe targeting your marketing messages a little bit differently, offering them maybe something in the way of additional services, not necessarily as a quid pro quo, but as a enhancement because you know it's worth it. There's a return there. So it's worth putting that investment in, looking at the equation the other way around as well. Yeah, I think um, your point about the cost, Sean, um, if I'm following everything you're saying, um, when you segment, you also are looking at their needs. And mm-hmm. um, we see a lot of times companies overserve um, customers that don't want something or don't want that much of something, but the company is just so into um, a, a kind of a generic way of looking at the costs that if they really tweaked the way that they were delivering the services and products to them, um, the customer would would actually pay for the stuff they want to and not pay for the stuff that they don't. And we're on a diet, if you will, of cost because of the pandemic. Everyone's had to kind of shrink the amount of service that they've been able to provide, including the hotels. You know, we used to, to go to hotels and they would clean our room every day. Now, because of the pandemic, they don't clean it every day. And actually, they didn't need to clean it every day for us anyway, because um, it was an over-service for a lot of, of travelers. So they didn't need that extra cost in there to begin with. So I think it is, I think the p- pandemic's helping us relook at our cost structure and where it's appropriate too. Yeah, it's more discriminatory. And I like what you said about the segmentation because obviously you're, you're right, segmentation is tr- traditionally needs-based. We understand that customers want to be served differently. They, they have different expectations and needs. You know, sometimes if, if we turn this a little bit on its head, if you focused on those profitable customers, or high potential. I mean, profitable customers are profitable for a reason. It's not because they want to give us their money. It's because we're providing value that really resonates with them, or we're finding them very easy to serve and meet their existing needs. There's a reason behind the margin on the ROI. And if we can understand that, that can also, if you loop back, form the basis of a segmentation. Which other customers look like this? Which other customers have these needs, have this desire to be served in this way because apparently we're quite good at that you can almost let the tail wag the dog with segmentation by combining the roy thing if you see what i mean and say this is a also market intelligence right which is interesting because 20 years ago when i um we mentioned on previous when you were a lad tom in short trousers right <laughs> and i was working for peppers and rogers group and and, and and we were working with companies that actually got this you know like the early adopters and and it's still something that's being integrated today. That's why we're talking about it today. But we used to combine both of those things. And I think it's still super, super insightful thing to do. Yes, we would um, it was segment by needs, as you guys are talking about, but we would actually then overlay what we call segmenting by value. Okay. And what we would look at is this idea of what's our cost um, at an individual customer basis level what's the potential of an individual customer and how much of that are we realizing? And we would create some categories of of customers in each segment. There would be the ones that were, you know, the the keepers, they're profitable to serve. We have, they have a high potential and we're getting a lot of those potential. We could not afford to lose those customers. In many cases, they were the 5% 
that were generating 70% of our profits. And so a, a new focus on retaining those customers was born and you just did everything you could to keep them as long, you know, as long as they remained profitable, you didn't overserve them to make them unprofitable. You just couldn't afford to lose them. But you know, there, there was another really interesting one and you guys are, are, are alluding to it is they're, they're, they're profitable, yes, they have high potential, but we have less of their share of customer than we want. And those were, you know, high potential or growables, right? And a lot of times the, the strategy would be, what can you do to accelerate some rewards that you might be giving to your most valuable customers? Can you accelerate those rewards? Can you treat somebody like a frequent flyer before they've, they've earned the miles? Because if we had all their miles, we would have them, to use an airline analogy, right? And all of a sudden you would see these massive, massive growth in these, in these customers because the potential was there and we were kind of like laser like directed at them, you know? But the needs-based segmentation was important because if I had a highly growable customer inside a certain segment, there's my clue of how, you know, what do they want and need because they're in this segment and how can I give it to them maybe even faster than they earned it because they do have the potential and they're worth it for us, you know? So combining all of this stuff together leads to, leads to a, a, a new way, I think, of looking at ROI. And I want to continue to say this is not a, a new way. I guess we've been doing it for a long time, but marketing has the analytics to be able to do this now, to begin to look at individual customer dynamics and individual customer ROI. And I think that's what we're advocating for here. Yeah, it's one of those, it's that, that new to you phenomenon, Tom. When I, when I moved to the US, I have to say that the, the concept of showing repeats of TV shows is common the world over. But I forget which station it was in the US, but they had this great way of positioning their repeats by saying essentially, if you've not seen this before, it's new to you. And new to you was the big tagline. I thought that's a great way of serving up a repeated program by saying it's new to you. Well, I think in many ways, this idea of looking at Roy in these two dimensions that you outlined, Tom, is new to a lot of people. It doesn't have to be a new idea, but maybe it's time to, to, to take that view of thinking if return on investment is, is money in over money out in the simple equation, then it's the same for a campaign as it is for individual customers what are they costing you to serve and what are you getting back and how do you either increase that return by driving more products through that customer or or how do you in some cases reapply your cost to only serve the most valuable customers and don't waste time on so it is a different way to look at it not not a new idea but probably a new application for a lot of people i guess that's how i would look at it yeah especially i think um in this pandemic, post-pandemic, whatever part of the pandemic we're in right now. <laughs> it seems that um, we have to look at these things differently because we're being forced to, you know, there's, there's a lot of budget issues and a lot of customer issues. So hopefully something that you're hearing today um, is sparking some new, new ideas for you or old ideas that you forgot about that you want to do now because you need it more than ever. Um, all of our podcasts are available um, on our Accidental Marketer website, on SoundCloud, YouTube. And we always love to hear from you. Please send us a note at any point and just let us know uh, if you agree with us, if you, don't dis if you disagree with us, or if you want us to talk about some other type of issue. Thank you. Thank you.